It's the all-Canadian episode for Canada Day. It is all-Canadian. Yep. Break out the maple syrup. <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome to the Canada Day episode of the More Than Just Go podcast. This is episode... Wait, 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 you gotta say it again. You were off mic. You gotta start again. I was off mic. For the beginning, then you cleared up towards the end. Okay. I think I might have snorted in laughter, actually. Yeah, again. no, I, I did. I, you this did, is 46. Oh, you can cut that. No, you were talking like this, and then you said, and welcome to episode... Or whatever. Oh, you said, welcome okay, to episode every further than Canada Day, like that. Yeah, so. okay, I follow you. Okay, hang on. I am, I am pivoting in my seat, you are correct. Episode 46, okay. Wait, wait, wait. Everybody. Is this going to be episode 46? Are you it sure? It is, yes. You're yes, sure? Yeah, I'm positive. All right. Hey, Greg, stop interrupting him. He hates that. <laughs> I don't mind it. Um, okay. Hey, everybody. Welcome hey, to... Hey, Tim. How's it going? <laughs> yeah, we had this before. <laughs> yes, we did. <sighs> hey, everybody. Okay, we're good. Go ahead. <laughs> hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 46, the all-Canadian episode of More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitchell. I'm in Toronto, Ontario on this fine Canada Day, and I am joined by my co-host, Aaron Vay in Whitby, Ontario. Peace, order, and good government. <laughs> and I'm also joined by... Uh, guest uh, host today, uh, Greg Hio, over there in uh, over by the Eaton Center in Toronto. Hello, everyone. Eh? Hey. Oh, good one. Good, good job. Eh? Um, yeah. So take off, and um, yeah, that's uh, this is the Canada episode. Mar- Jaime and Mark uh, are too busy. Too busy once again to make a podcast. So Mark is launching today. Apparently, that- yeah. So he said he'll either be you know drowning his sorrows or or totally wasted getting on a plane i am delighted for i hope it works <laughs> it is launch day for many people i guess which we'll get so into later in the episode yeah well yeah 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 edit here i had my poutine i did not have swiss chalet though that sounded well, good yeah. you know then i got you both beat because i had swiss chalet poutine for dinner tonight <gasps> whoa there you go i didn't know they didn't even know it was on the menu oh it wow. is baby i had it with the club wrap it was great <laughs> Really? Yeah. Oh, I guess you, yeah. I guess you get the fries with. Uh... Yeah, you get fries with it, but then for an extra two bucks, you can upgrade to poutine. Oh, okay, and, and but is my quite my my problem with poutine that, that I've had is the gravy. It's like is I was it, is say, it like a dark that sort of gravy, gravy or... or is it something else? Oh no, they've what? got they've got their own. It's um, it's a decent gravy. Um, is it meaty like, or is it chickeny gravy or? Yeah, it's it's a little more, you know, like is it a chicken Grayish. gravy? No, it's not a gra- it's not a chicken gravy as you might yeah. think of it. Like yeah. not it's not light brown. You know, it's yeah. it's darker. Okay. Um, it's all. It looks like a, a beef gravy, even though those guys produce chicken like you would not believe. <laughs> yeah, well, they, they do ribs there too. But the uh, see, my my problem with poutine is I I mean I really don't go looking for it, but uh, but I've never really found one that had that in my mind had the right kind of you know dark beefy gravy kind of thing. You know, so they tend to, they seem to lean that way. Uh, yeah, you know, okay. and I I quite liked it. Uh, you know, it's it's obviously it's not the best poutine you're ever gonna have. Clearly, <laughs> no. But the potatoes are good at Swishily, That's for sure. Oh yeah, yeah. I like their yeah, fries. They got that whole Harvey's thing going there, right? So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yep. You should go. To, have you been to Hero Burger, Tim? I actually went to Hero Burger the other day. Just did you have the their first time? No, no. But I had I had their hamburgers. Interesting wrapping. That that uh, they do that. have interesting wrapping. Yeah. So it was my first time at a, at a Hero okay. Burger. Do they have good poutine? Their poutine. They do have poutine. I, I mean, I've ordered. They've had fries with gravy for a long time, <laughs> as far as I remember. But I do like their gravy, so I think their poutine works. It is a dark, cool. kind of beefy gravy, so you should try yeah, it. I sure hope yeah. this is going in the show. Uh, <laughs> it you is, should try, for sure. You should, is try for their, sure. you should try their poutine. I'm sure Daryl will have lots of questions for us on the Slack group, you know? Okay. 
Um, yeah, no, I mean, it, I mean, I've been spoiled because we used to have a, an Eaton store when I lived in St. Catharines, and and that's when I first discovered fries and gravy, and the gravy was that dark, beefy gravy, and you know, that's so so I'm a bit picky about that. And also, I had a chocolate mousse once on St. Catharines Street in, in Montreal, and I've never been able to satisfy my you know myself with another good uh, chocolate mousse. But there you go. Huh. Yeah, pretty big. And the best best coffee I ever had was somewhere in the south of France. You know, it was just turned me off of putting milk in coffee, and it was. It was let's put it this way: when you buy, when you get a coffee or an espresso in um, in France, they give you a little piece of chocolate with it, right? And this coffee was so good, it was better than the chocolate. So, wow. You know, so. Yeah, you'll be so. chasing it for the rest of your life. I will be chasing it for. Sadly, I will. That's why I can't go back to Tim Hortons. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know. You know that my my plans were kind of up in the air, obviously, because I didn't think I would be able to do this tonight. I thought I'd be up at the cottage by now. Um, But our plans changed, and so I'm here. Um, And knowing that I was going to be here now uh, for the rest of the week and going up on Friday, I decided to launch Magpie today and just get it out there. I didn't didn't really want to launch it and then go away, I guess, you know, that's the idea, in case anything untoward occurred. Um, The other motivation is that uh, I wanted to give the press contacts that I'd uh, contacted, <laughs> time to um, perhaps show some interest in Magpie and maybe write a review or at least some news about it when it launched. Um, and that yielded exactly zero uh, response. So um, I just said, to heck with it, let's just go ahead anyway. Um, and Apple sent me an email saying, look, you've been having this thing ready for sale for a month. What's your problem? Uh, <laughs> so yeah, let's just go ahead and launch it. And so I did. I launched it. I pushed the button tonight, and uh, within a few minutes, it was live on the store. Uh, it was propagating out. Uh, I still don't see it in the search engine results, of course, um, but I think a direct link will take you there. Um, hmm. Certainly by the time this show airs, uh, it'll be easily findable, I should think. Well, I want to say congratulations, and also uh, yeah. ask, Thanks. what kind of stats do you get from the CloudKit backend thing? Can you look at that and see signups? No. And I, I forget what kind of things no. you're storing in there. Nothing. Um, so the way Magpie works anyway, uh, okay, the way CloudKit works is it has public and private databases, right? So the public database would be for, if you can imagine, like a social application uh, where all users of the app would be contributing data to it and it would be publicly visible to all the users. Mm-hmm. Think of like maybe an auction app or something or some kind of social application. Um, But uh, Magpie uses the private database. Uh, So that's stored on every individual's private iCloud uh, user account. Uh, I have zero visibility into that. So um, there's there's no no way that I can see how much uh, Magpie is being utilized. Um, The only signal that I know of right now, I mean, other than, you know, the reports that I'm going to get from iTunes, obviously, um, uh, is that you know, when you share a video on Magpie, the uh, say on Twitter, for example, it adds the via Magpie video uh, tag to it, which you could of course delete. But um, I've already seen one of those tonight, so totally. Yeah, um, I know there's at least one user out there right now. <laughs> okay. Yep. So that's uh, that's basically what it comes down to. I mean, um, the reason I said it's bittersweet, of course, is that. Um, you know, I was hoping it would launch with a, a little more fanfare, 
and mm-hmm. it, it of course didn't because um, uh, you know it's the problem that we talk about again and again and again is that you know nobody cares <laughs> it's, a, it's a new app and uh, nobody really has time for it and even if the people I gave it to for free haven't used it and right. uh, I tried to give away copies last week you know we, we talked about it on the show that will never air um, it may air it might air it wouldn't have mattered anyway no not for by that time, by the time it it had launched the contest thing and you would have been over anyway so quite right yeah, yeah. um you know having said that like what the, the I just, i'm referring to a conversation that no no user or listener of our podcast is going to hear the point being that um <sighs> nasty nasty oh i'm sorry i'm just you know we talked about this last week but okay anyway yeah it, it will see the light of day trust me all right it, it doesn't have to at this point it feels kind of redundant but mm-hmm. um anyway last week we talked about um that contest that i held and the idea was that anybody who tweeted a uh, link to the contest page would be eligible to win a copy of the pre-release version of magpie um mm-hmm. you know so like the version that was on the store ready to go uh but which uh was not yet available for sale i was able to give away promo codes and um, I got zero. Like you, you responded, Tim, at the time. Like as we were recording, you you did a tweet or several tweets. Yeah. Um, yeah. And but I think Jaime, Jaime also. I think he retweeted one of yours, and yeah. that was mm-hmm. it. Zero else. So, and you guys already had access to the app. Greg, I should have sent you one. Damn. Sorry. Oh, man. Um, I'll get a copy. No, I'm waiting no, for the bundle. No, I was going to ask you about that later, but sorry. Go ahead. Um, anyway, so. Uh, zero response, and so I thought, okay, uh, you can't even give this thing away. So let's yeah. let's put it up for sale for four ninety nine, and that's my plan, and that's what I'm doing, and so it's done. Uh, and I don't I don't know. It's not not much is going to happen to it. Um, so that's why it's bittersweet. It's because you know I've been working on this for a long time. I think it's been it's a very good app. It's a useful app. I use it every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I cannot say that about very many apps, um, but nobody's going to have time to find that out. And that's the big problem. So um, it goes back to the strategy that we've talked about again and again, that the big bang marketing and the uh, hit driven nature of the app store um, is, is not the kind of, of work that I'm planning to do here. Mm-hmm. Um, this, this app is going to go out there. It's going to putter along. Uh, it might make a sale uh, a week. <laughs> it might make two, two sales a week. Who knows? Um, but because it's useful to me and because I believe in it, I'm going to continue working on it. And eventually it's going to become so good that uh, the right people will start to notice it and talk about it. And hopefully maybe three, four years from now, um, it'll actually be worth something. Hmm. I don't know if there's any other way to it because, you know, there's um, I don't have the resources to market it uh, in a very effective way. And I, I don't have the skill set to do that either even if I did have the resources. Um, yeah. So I, I think that's the battle I'm up against, you know? Like, I, I, I could, you know, have put all my uh, resources in one basket and done some kind of big launch plan with PR and marketing and advertising yeah. and, um, and, and done, like, 200 sales on day one and then watch that long tail taper off. But mm-hmm. that's not what I'm doing here. That's not, that's not what I believe in. Um, you know, this, this app is going to be here to stay and it's going to continue developing. Um, and so the people who bought it today, you know, all one or two of them, mm-hmm. will, um, um, they're going to get the most value out of it because it's going to continue improving over time. Like it's, it's not, it's not going to be, remain stagnant like, right, like right. many iOS apps do. How much are you selling it for? Four ninety nine on both platforms, iOS and Mac. Okay. Is it possible to do a cross-platform bundle where you can buy the Mac and the iOS? No. No. Yeah, I think that you know, I think I think you'll find that that um, 
you know, in my experience, the, the selling of selling of apps is is sort of a it's a long tail uh, proposition, right? Like, you know, either you're going to get some people initially right off the bat, but over time, it's going to take a while for people to sort of find it. And I think you just got to hang in there because, I mean, the reality is everybody, everybody kind of wants free stuff. And, and uh, you know, we've all had the race for the bottom, which has made everybody think that apps should be free. And, you know, people like Aaron shouldn't make a living doing it. Um, but the reality is you need, you need to do that. And, and I think over time you'll find that, you know, it'll be, it'll, it'll trickle out and, and, uh, you'll get it, you'll get it out there. But I think you have to keep talking about it, have to keep tweeting about it, have to keep, you know, keep it in the public eye. We'll keep talking about it on the podcast, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and, and it, over time it'll, it'll eventually, it'll eventually grow. I mean, you're, you're like, you're the number one client for it right now, as you said, right? You're the number one user. You mentioned that last week as well, right? Um, you said you were using the heck out of it, if I remember correctly, and I think over time it'll 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 just uh, it'll it'll grow. I mean, it's you know, it's not going to take on the photoshops of the world, but uh, I think as a, as shareware goes or fair or whatever you want to call it, um, it'll 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 do well eventually. You know. Yeah, I think it's just consistency. You know, I, that's the only thing that matters. It's the only thing. It's the only resource that I can bring to bear on it. Is is just. A, a long time continuing to to build on it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think, like I said, over time, I think it'll it'll it, it, you know a market will grow for it. You know, sort of thing. Like it's not a it's not a it's not a every man's app sort of thing. If if it was, it would be the the monetary model would be different, right? We've talked about that on the show before. Like if you have a um, an app that's you know specifically for a, a niche type of market, you know, you're not going to get everybody and his brother downloading it just for the sake of downloading it, right? You don't want the people who are going to download it, look at it, use it for five minutes, and then forget they downloaded it. You know, that's not your audience either, right? Yeah. You want the people who have a need, you know, like you said, to, you know, want to watch these videos, don't have time for it right now because they're, you know, at work or whatever, save it for later. Sort of like the Insta paper for video, right? That's exactly what the term I'm using for it. That sounds awfully familiar, I was going to say. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the model that he, he talked about last week on the show that may or may not see the light of day. I never heard this. I never heard this episode. <laughs> There's some links in the uh, in the document about businessy stuff, but I was wondering. I I don't remember. But have you guys talked about the technical side of Magpie in previous episodes? Is that well, something you'd be in, willing in to the, talk about? In the last about? episode, we did. Uh, oh, the so last okay. I don't. Yes. I don't. I guess. I mean. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Go ahead. Dig into it. Well, I don't know, Tim. Like, you do you want to? Like, do you want to uh, th- decide whether this is going to happen, or just and if not, should it, we Eric. go do it over again? It doesn't matter. You, you got it. Marketing, marketing, marketing. Tell them again. Tell them again. Tell them again. Well, it, you it know, takes, <laughs> takes eleven touches before somebody really realizes that they need your product, right? So yeah, well, I'm just three imagining times and it's yours. I'm just imagining. Well, let me just ask our... you because I'm I'm just go curious ahead. about it. Then yeah. I was I guess I was wondering about the a few things, cross platform stuff and CloudKit stuff. But I was wondering for CloudKit how you found the testing aspect of it and a lot of people said again with the public side maybe i'm thinking cloudkit dashboard but how did you find the testing of that i imagine there's some kind of sandbox cloudkit that you had to use and test things out but how did you find the cloudkit integration in terms of testing things was was actually not that difficult um that was one of the easier things because the framework is actually very good um very easy to work with cloudkit has uh a development and a production environment when you're uh, building with it. So um, as I was working to create the app, I was working in the development environment, obviously. Um, but whenever you ship a version of the app through the App Store or through uh, TestFlight, 
it would automatically rig it to the production environment. Um, and so anybody that was testing it and then used one of these test flight or, or downloads from the App Store uh, would have a different collection, right? Because it's using a different database altogether. Mm -hmm. um, having said that, though, like uh, use, using that development environment and then having that uh, web-based dashboard to help you configure the data objects, and I try to keep that really simple. Um, like it's it's not terribly complicated from a data model perspective. Uh, it's just basically like a, a single video object that you save, you know, and you save as many as you like. But uh, they have a, a fairly defined structure. Um, the, I think the toughest part of working with CloudKit was dealing with the notifications. So the push notifications that come through whenever a change occurs to your data set. Mm -hmm. When that happens, uh, you've got to configure your app to receive a push notification and to act accordingly. And you have to create a subscription for each type of notification, uh, add, delete, and update. Uh, mm -hmm. So for each of those, you have to have a subscription, a CK subscription object set up um, and saved to the your, your CloudKit database. Um, and it took a long time for me to figure that out. And I was actually just corresponding with someone on Twitter uh, this week and uh, who was having the same problem. He's like, how the heck does this stuff even work? Because um, it's really not very well documented. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so it was, there was a ton of trial and error involved, a little bit of stack overflow. Uh, there's one fellow there, you know, and this is, I'm, t I'm thinking like eight months ago now, so I don't know anyone's names anymore, but um, there was one fellow on Stack Overflow that was just going around answering CloudKit subscription questions. <laughs> I wonder if he worked for Apple or not. Um, <laughs> but uh, he, he was enormously helpful in helping me figure that out. Like, other than that though, uh, it was very, very straightforward, um, like pulling data from CloudKit, saving to CloudKit, updating CloudKit, deleting items from CloudKit, no problem at all. Uh, super easy, uh, makes total mm. sense. You get two devices going side by side, you know, your Mac on this side and then your iPad over here, and Ooh. you just do do something over on your iPad and it reflects on the Mac within five seconds. And, mm -hmm. you know, you just keep doing that back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and you just start, you just stop worrying about that. <laughs> um, so it's it's just a terrific service. It works very well. Was it a little more core data-ish, or I, I'm mm. just curious about since you're storing videos, it, was it sort of more documents in the cloud the way you were using it? No, um, I'm not actually storing the video files themselves. I'm storing just metadata. Um, mm. So uh, a video record uh, for Magpie consists of like the name of the, the video, so that just comes from the title of the page, um, the thumbnail uh, link to the thumbnail image for the video, um, and then I save like three different uh, video URLs. Um, and so those URLs then stream the video to the player in Magpie when you're going to view a video. Um, and that's, you know, and then some, some other metadata that I need, but that's about it. And it's really straightforward. Uh, there's probably like 10 attributes on the video object that I currently have. So it's, it's not that complicated. Cool. Okay. If you had a choice between, I forget if we've talked about this before too, like CloudKit local as the core data replacement, how far do you think oh, the gosh. truth line that is? No, 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 no. Um, my, my initial approach actually was to treat CloudKit like I would um, like an application server. And, you know, like imagine, imagine yourself setting up a collection view, okay? And you want a data source for the collection view. And so what you do is, uh, you know, you, um, you, you, branch off to a background thread, you call the endpoint, um, pull down some JSON, and then populate the collection view. And you might have a local cache, right? Mm. Um, so that was sort of the approach I initially took with, with CloudKit, but uh, CloudKit's not fast enough to do that. You know, where an application server might respond within, you know, uh, 
500 milliseconds, say, um, you, you'd be waiting several seconds for CloudKit to come back to you with the data set. Um, and, and so it's, it's not really like that at all. Um, and so instead, what I have to do is, is rely much more heavily on a local disk-based cache that I create. And I ended up not using cloud, uh, core data. I find core data so complex, <laughs> uh, especially when I'm dealing with just one data object. Like one man, it would be one managed object, mm-hmm. um, which no relationships, nothing like that. It just it's it's just overkill in so many circumstances. Cloud, uh, I keep uh, confusing CloudKit and Core Data, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is ridiculous. But um, Core Data just feels like overkill in so many situations. Um, I'm, I'm generally not a fan of Core Data. I'm, I'm going to be. I'm just going to put it out there. I'm sorry, <laughs> but there it is. I'm not a huge fan of it. Um, I'd rather use SQLite. Um, and beca- I guess it must be my web background showing itself because um, I understand it so well mm-hmm. um, that I feel like uh, that solves all my problems that I ever need. But um, everyone's got different opinions on that. Um, and you can call the database without feeling bad about yourself. Yeah, exactly. Were uh, you using raw SQLite C calls or were you using one of those wrappers around it? Yeah, FMDB. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, um, I've, I've got quite a big, bit of experience with F- FMDB, so um, it's what I tend to use. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, what I ended up doing is just, um, you know, do an initial call, of course, you got to get the data at some point. <laughs> um, but then, you know, rely on that on that cache data from disk, um, and then update, uh, update it with the core, or sorry, the cloud kit, <laughs> uh, every time I get the chance to do so. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, just a slight tweak on on how you manage the data model. Okay. But you got to rely on the on the on the local disk rather than on a cloud kit. It's just not responsive enough. Now you mentioned push notifications as well. For example, if you added something on the Mac and then it shows up on the iOS side, is that an actual push that's visible, or is it one of those silent push notifications that just phones the server in the background and fetches the new CloudKit record and updates the local database? Is that how it works? Yeah, it's um it's a CK subscription object. So this is a CloudKit thing. It's part of the framework. Um, and so these subscriptions take the form of these silent push notifications. Um, and uh, I'm trying to remember the mechanism, whether the notification itself contains the change set or if it's just a signal for me to go and update the change set. Um, mm. I feel I'm like not, it's just the signal because the yeah, payload size is, is pretty small, right? It Although would have it's to bigger be, right? now, but yeah, that's what I imagine. Yeah. So um, anyway, like whenever those notifications come in, then the app updates itself and uh, and does the same thing. Like it'll it'll go and get the uh, the state of the database, uh, update the local store, and then update the the UI to show it. All in all, I mean, I I find that it works very well. It's pretty efficient. Um, you know, uh, I've had no complaints about it from any of my testers so far. I'm pretty happy with it. Hmm. And now, since you do have a Mac and an iOS version, how much, I guess the, my first curious curiosity question is, how much shared code would you say is between the two? <laughs> and is think, it a yeah. single Xcode project, or do you have two Xcode projects? Yeah. Um, it's actually a single project, and oh. it, uh, it takes advantage of uh, the framework's support that we had in iOS coming in uh, in iOS 8. So uh, once we were able to build uh, shared frameworks in there, I was able to create a single video, gra- <laughs> the project was called Video Grabber when it started out. Uh, I created a Video Grabber kit. And mm-hmm. uh, I created an, a Mac version and an iOS version. Um, so there were two targets, one for each of those kits, uh, a target for each of iOS and Mac, the application, and then a target for the uh, share extensions 
uh, which allow the user to save to Magpie from other outside of the Magpie application, right? Mm-hmm. So um, if you're in Twitter on your iPhone and you want to sh- save a video, you can use the action extension in, in your Twitter app to do that. And that's a separate uh, target in the Xcode project. Okay. Now, one of the challenges, of course, when building a cross-platform uh, setup like this is that uh, you know most of my application code that does all the back background work, like like saving the videos, um, you know, uh, saving to CloudKit, talking to CloudKit, the data, uh, moving it back and forth from the local to the to the cloud and back, um, all that stuff is shared code. Um, and there was uh, one particular like uh, using uh, images in particular was kind of a pickle because. Um, you know, uh, having images in the shared code, you've got NS image on the Mac in AppKit, and you've got UI image in um, UIKit, mm-hmm. but they're they're almost identical in terms of their API. Mm-hmm. So I created a an X image class, which uh, inherits from either of those uh, image classes depending on what platform it's on. Yeah. So I was able to uh, to call X image instead of UI image or NS image. Um, and then I had this subclass that was able to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. And then it was funny because I, I come up with that solution and then I saw a video from WWDC not too long after that where Apple was talking about how they developed um, their pages or, you know, the uh, iWork apps, right? Yeah. Uh, and they did a sort of similar thing. So... Yeah, there's funny. a lot of talk about the UX kit for the Photos app, but I've heard the yeah. same thing used in cross-platform sprite kit games where, yeah, same thing. Well, this is in Swift, but you can still have those if OS is Mac or if OS is yeah, iOS, that, and then yeah. you just kind of... This this solution I saw, this, again, this is for maybe Swift-specific, but it would kind of type def, like, my image as either NS image or UI image, and then you, you just have to be careful to call the only the properties and methods that exist on both sides but you exactly. want the subclass where you kind of wrapped it and said if it's on like if i call the property size maybe on ui image it's called size but on ns image it's called like image size or something but you would kind of massage that out on your subclass to do the right thing and split the code path in two ways is that what you mean yeah um it, i never had to get to that level fortunately um i mm. was I was using uh, methods on NS image, UI image that were common between the two of them. So okay. it, it was never an issue. Um, on, in Objective-C, anyway, it's like uh, a, a, an if-def. Um, mm-hmm. So if-def target OS iPhone or target iPhone simulator, and then, then I know I'm using iOS, and then else I'm going to bring in Coco. So, But there was no well. built-in anything to do that. As you mentioned, the, no. the pages, the iWork guys said they had to build something themselves, but that's not something that's available to the rest of us. Correct. But it's so simple. I mean, it's there's nothing to it. Like, your implementation file is actually empty. Uh, and your, uh, your header file, basically, um, you have to import something called target conditionals header. Mm-hmm. Um, this is something that... Um, um, I guess it's part of the frameworks that allows you to use these uh, these if def statements, um, and then you just basically uh, wrap the uh, import statements around them. What's the lowest version of OS ten that is? What's the requirement? Um, I built this on uh, ten point ten. Was it yes? Yes, ten point ten. So I was planning to uh, launch with ten uh, ten support which is uh, Yosemite, right? Uh, 
Mm -hmm. I just get my damn numbers straight. But yeah, Yosemite. So I was going to launch for Yosemite, um, as well as iOS 8. And, um, you know, here we are now. (laughs) I've launched, and so anybody that's using the current stuff will will have it. And then come September, when iOS 9 and 10.11 launch, um, you know, I'll be supporting two versions of the operating systems. Did you consider going back to 10.9 and supporting Mavericks as well, and maybe iOS 7? Or was there something in the code base that requires 10.10 or iOS 8 that you really wanted to use? Um, Definitely with, um, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but this framework capability that I have now in Xcode 6. Yeah, as soon as you said that, I thought, I think that's iOS 8. I don't know whether this is on the Mac. That's definitely iOS 8 only. But, uh, you know, the Mac has had shared frameworks for a long, long time. so I'm not sure if it's as much of an issue there. I'm really just for simplicity's sake, and I know the adoption numbers are really good. Um, I and I, I if I hear of anybody that's saying, "Oh, I'd lose your app," except you know I'm on, you know Mavericks or Snow Leopard or something, and then, you know, <laughs> I might just have a good laugh. I don't know, but <laughs> um, mm-hmm. we'd have to see. And so here's the. So did you write the whole app in in Objective C, or is there yeah. some Swift in there? There or? is zero Swift in here. Zero Swift. Yeah, well, you you know my position on Swift, right? Like it it, it well, needs to grow up. Well, your position changed a couple of couple of weeks ago. Yes, after, yes, it did. After WWDC, um, you thought you thought maybe you might uh, be looking at some of that, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, but uh, at least for present, Magpie is going to continue to be 100% Objective C. I mm-hmm. I know that you can share the code between the two, and I, I get that. But um, uh, I think I'll save uh, you know my next whatever my next project is. I'll I'll write it in Swift, but. I'm going to keep this in Objective-C for now. Cool. All righty. I put something up here, a senior developer from Matt Briggs. Um, I really like that article. I was going to put that there myself. Were you? Okay, good. And then, um, and you put one about a uh, couple of articles, sad articles about uh, the indie app business. No, that'll tie right into Magpie. I was just, uh, <laughs> I, that's why I was hoping to make this the Magpie special. Yeah, there was uh, Brent Simmons and then this other gentleman, Curtis Herbert. And then there was another post I just saw, which I think Brent Simmons retweeted. He, uh, there's another one from Alan Pike that he just sort of retweeted, reposted, whatever the word is for re-putting something on your blog mm-hmm. um, it's just one more one more kind of thing they're all kind of similar kind of idea but i thought aaron would have things to say about it about brent simmons's yeah he's just yeah. basically saying you know what it's tough to make an app because nobody cares oh, yeah, and so yeah. Yeah, but we do it out of, yeah. we do it out of love hence the title yeah, right well, um, yeah, yeah, and yeah. you know keep it up <laughs> yeah and that's kind of sort of what i was saying i think three or four weeks ago when we talked about this before, ah, like why, why build apps that, that I know aren't going to do anything is because I like building apps, right? So and I like I like putting my ideas out there and that imaginary you know audience that you have out there somewhere, right? Well, I saw it as a good splash of cold water, throwing a bucket of cold water on someone as well, because there tends to be this do, I guess, as the title suggests, do what you love and yeah. you just have to stick with it. And I guess there was a little bit, because Brent has been doing this for a while, of this sort of back in the old days when indie Mac developers could thrive and have these apps that they loved and people would pay $50 a unit for them and it was great. Mm-hmm. And it was almost like, hey, snap out of it. It's not the Mac days. That will probably not happen. And we just need to adjust our thinking a little bit. There will still be indie developers on iOS platform and on the Mac yeah. and everywhere else. But it's one of those, you know, not everyone can be a movie star kind of posts. That's why I put the word right. sad in quotation marks. But I think it was just <laughs> a nice 
it's not going to be like the way it was. It's going to be different. That doesn't mean that there are no indie developers and that we can't do it. It's just, it's hard work. It's always been hard work. It's like, it's not like back in the old days, everybody, anyone can just throw an app together and mm -hmm. make a living. It's like, it was difficult back then and it's still difficult now. And maybe we've just romanticized the past a little too much. And, um, you know, that's just not the way to think about it. And I think one of the follow-up articles was really good because it was like, uh, it's not a bad thing because having all these people writing apps, like Aaron, yeah. writing apps that they really want to use and that they really enjoy, that's that's yeah. not a bad thing. That's maybe not adding to the economy, if that's the right way to say it. It's not bringing like money into a lot of people's pockets, but it's just bringing good software out in the world, which... You could say has its own. Yeah, well, this is the fuzzy moment of the show. It has that has its own value, right? No, for sure, and, and I totally agree that 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 you know there's there's if you build something that you're passionate about or you think is is, is a need that people have, it's more about the building of the tool and, and the creating the opportunity to help people with your software rather than it is about making the almighty buck. I mean, uh, and and that's the problem with with app development is is the world the the general public takes a while to catch up to the idea that, hey, there's an app for that. By the time they catch up with that idea, and they all think they've got the million dollar idea, that ship has already sailed, right? You know, um, because they're, like I said, they're coming late to the party. So, but those of us who build software, whether it's just, you know, little, you know, trinkety websites or, or, or little apps, like I built an app about Canadians, like today's Canada Day, so you know people should be playing Geese Squad because it's all about Canada. It's got you know butter tarts <laughs> in there and blueberries and you know evil American hunters and golfers and stuff like that. And American Eagle comes by and steals your geese buddies, you know. Um, but we only built that because we we just wanted to build something that talked about a lot of Canadian ideas and and sort of the idea and like even to the point where my wife made me remove the American hunters because they had guns and switch it over to kids with slingshots. I mean, <laughs> it, you know. But the, but the reality is, is is I didn't build that app to make you know copious amounts of money. I built that app to go through the whole process of building an app and you know setting up you know working with Game Center and uh, looking at different font art and you know working with with it was Cocos 2DS at the time, you know and I'm actually going to do a, a version of it for for um, for uh, with Sprite Kit you know and maybe with the new gameplay kit. Uh, utilities that are, are available to us now in IS9. I might even use some of those, you know, and, and so my geese will have lasers to be able to fight it, fire at those evil golfers, you know? So As long as there's oh, flocking. There's got to be a flocking reference Well, that's, that's what I'm getting at, because the whole, the whole mechanism is you're creating a, you know, a chevron of geese, and they, they we mathematically make a linked list, and they flock together down, okay. down, down, the, route, down okay. the road, right? But, um, you know, but you know, I built that app because my grandsons and I were, you know, we we're just riffing one day. They were young. They were like, you know, eight or nine or something like that at the time. And, and they just thought it'd be fun to build this app. And then I had my friend's kids record their voices for the sounds for each, as each goose does a little honk. It's all, a little, you know, some little friend of mine. Um, you know, and they're they're pumped about the fact that they're in an app. It's not about you know, yeah. It'd be great if I could make money. Or I, I was actually featured by the Apple Store at one point, but they you know now that I'm not using all the fancy you know UI dynamics and all that kind of stuff, you know, I've fallen out of favor with Apple. But but still, you know, the purpose of building that app was just out of passion, just because I you know I was going through the process of, of learning the new tools and wanted to build something that people would enjoy, right? Mm -hmm. So you know, it's not about making money. <laughs> It'd be nice, but, you know. Yeah, but, you know, like, uh, <laughs> the problem is that so many people enter this business with yeah. the notion that there's going to be some recompense for the effort that they've expended to make this app, you know? Yeah, no, Like, nobody, true. nobody knows the kind of effort it takes to make an app. 
Yeah, and they're surprised when we tell them. Like when we tell them, it, it's it's this amount of effort, and you translate it into hours, and turn that translate into dollars. It's you know they go like, oh my God, I can't believe it's that much. And it does take a lot of effort. And we were talking about this on a show many months ago, on the I think episode twelve was the iPad episode, right? Where we were talking about last year when size classes came out, and the fact that people don't realize what amount of effort it takes to build an iPad app, to, you know, to build a good one. I mean, like that takes advantage of the whole platform and the size and the real estate and all that. Right. So, yeah. You know, and one of the things I think needs to be repeated about, about Brent's column and I'm, I just want to, yes, here. Um, can I read from the yeah? By the, the way, just the book of Brent. <laughs> just, just, just so we're just because uh, we okay. didn't really introduce this, but we're talking about a, a post by Brent Simmons on theessential.com called "Love," and it's about the love of making apps, and and the follow-up article by uh, Kurdish. I'm not sure who that person. Follow-up one. It's called Tub Love. We'll put links in the in the show notes. Go ahead, Aaron. Read your read your piece. It's Curtis Herbert. Um, Thank you. No problem. Um, so. <laughs> You know, when, when Greg was saying that there's, you know, it's a good thing in a way that uh, people do this out of love because the passion gets into the app and, you know, a lot of people get to enjoy great software. The other side of it, though, and the side that I bemoan is the fact that uh, the economics of the app store are such that, uh, you know, a lot of great developers tend not to make apps for mm. iOS because it's just they know it's not going to be worthwhile. And mm. that's what Brent is talking about here. Um so, if I estimate the number of iOS apps in the App Store and get the difference between the estimate and the actual number, that difference will be larger than the number of successful apps, he writes. Um, which is to say that there are a ton of apps, way too many. Hmm. Um, and he defines success as that making enough profit to make it worth continuing to work on the app, um, which is um, a calculation that I've made and have determined that you know the money will not be the impetus for me to continue working on the app. Uh, it has to be out of my own passion. Um, now, do any developers doubt I'm right? He writes. And when developers think this way, they take their app ideas and toss them aside. Quote, hey, you know what? This idea would be really great for iPad. Darn. Unquote. Quote, this would be perfect for iPhone. Oh, well. Unquote. <laughs> See, that's, and that's, that's what happens all the time you know when i was considering what to build next myself before i decided on magpie i had several ideas bigger ideas than magpie mm -hmm. that i even got started on but then stopped because you know the the, the amount of effort was just too much for yeah. all the almost almost certain failure that i would experience and so your your site's lower as a developer, especially as an independent developer, like you just cannot tackle too much because there's simply no way that you can uh, justify the amount of risk, the amount of effort for what will be um, a pebble in the ocean. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and that, I think, damages the entire platform. Not that anyone cares. <laughs> Yeah, well, I think I think we care and our listeners care, but We're, there it is. I think the new model is going to be, which I I've, I've, I hear a lot of people are doing, is you just have your regular day job and then you yeah. do apps in the evening, and then if you break out of, I mean, that's a hard cycle to go through because the idea is, are do you want to quit your job? Is that even a goal? Like maybe some people don't even want to quit their jobs and take mm -hmm. on the the risk anymore. But then what happens if your app had a runaway success? Then do you quit your job and then work on your now successful indie project afterwards? I think I think there's a shift where before it was like, no, I am I'm going to quit my job and work on this for a year, and then it'll be successful, and then this is going to be my 
livelihood from now on. Whereas these days, people are more, I'm going to work on this. They, they seem resigned almost to the fact that, no, I'm just going to work on this in my spare time. I'll release it. Maybe I'll get a few sales. And even if it took off and I got $100, $200, $500, even $1,000 a month from it, no, that's, that's like still a side project. And then you're like, yeah. are you ever going to take it quote unquote seriously and you know maybe more more quotes take it to the next level and evolve the product and i guess that would be my worry is that as much as aaron said as much love and passion goes into these apps and it'll show through i feel like we're just going to have a bunch of very well crafted apps that are still treated as hobbies which not to again denigrate the effort or anything like that but it's just different again bread totally. sites places like panic and you know the omni group and you're I just feel like you're never going to reach that level and there's going to be this Bad giant job, stratification of, you know, top uh, like OmniFocus or OmniGraffle or something like that and then a very well-crafted app like Magpie even, but that mm -hmm. just I don't know. Aaron, w what would be sort of your end game uh, you know, wish from the genie kind of situation out of let's say just Magpie specifically? Well, ever since I started as a, a developer in, in iOS, I, I've always wanted to be independent and make a living off of my own apps. I'm, right. I much prefer living under my own recognizance than working for other people as a consultant, but that's what I have to do to make my money. You know, mm. like I, I have to work for the companies and it's not a terrible hardship. Let me, let me hasten to add that. Like I'm, I'm doing very well uh, at that business. And, you know, like uh, D Justin Williams, uh, in response to this very article on Twitter from um, from Brent Simmons said, you know, I'm I'm working for uh, several clients as a consultant. I'm making more money now than I ever did uh, when I was selling my own apps exclusively. And I still get my afternoon naps. Come at me, haters. Uh, <laughs> you know, which, you know, like, there's definitely something to be said for that. Um, you know, and I, I agree, you know, like that living the consultant life uh, can be, assuming, uh, giant asterisk, if you have the right client, <laughs> um, yeah, can be yeah. very good. Um, but yeah, like I definitely would love to be able to work on Magpie and whatever other, you know, whatever the next app is uh, full time, you know, and, and if, if Magpie were so successful that I could, you know, maybe hire someone to work with me, like get a developer, get a designer, um, and then, you know, really polish it to a, a fine sheen, you know, and then uh, build services around it. And then, you know, start thinking of new breakthrough features and then work on a second app, you know, that, mm -hmm. you know, would really, you know, something much more mainstream, perhaps so that, you know, you can take on bigger tasks, you know, but it all requires money. And that's something that you can't do unless you win this lottery. <laughs> yeah, and, um, and that's actually what the, 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 the missing thought I had was I, I've been talking to a lot of developers and I've been reading a lot of stuff and maybe one of these articles might have pointed it out. And it, that does seem to be the, the type of style of developer that we have out there now is that, you know, you have the, the Omnis and the Agile bits and stuff like that who do their make their products out of passion and out of love, right? Um, and the rest of us do too. I mean, I, I, I went to a bunch of conferences in 2010, 2011 and met a lot of developers who were early in the game, but it seemed to be they were building apps because they, they were passionate about building apps per se. They weren't, they weren't in a gold rush mentality, that kind of stuff. Um, you know, the Mike Lees and, and kind of that stuff were there. Um, <clears throat> but it, it seems to me that the, the reality is you, you need to have a day job to work 
you know, either as a consultant or work for uh, a studio that builds apps and makes money building apps for other businesses. Because as an independent person, you really can't, unless you have some earth-shattering idea, you know, uh, you're not going to be really out there making a ton of money off of an app. And, and, you know, if it does take off and starts to build, then the question is, are you, are you now an app builder or are you now running, a, are you now a product manager because you're now working, on, like, it's, let's imagine Magpie took off for, for the sake of extra exercise, right? Um, you know, and, and it became like everybody had to, ha you know, Justin Bieber said you have to have Magpie and, you know, all, everybody started downloading Magpie and all of a sudden you needed to look at, you know, upgrading your servers and like you said, hiring a, a staff to support it and then you had to, you know, get in, get some support people to actually answer the calls when they came in. You know, if you can imagine like Agile Bits, you know, with their, their product one password went from like, you know, a couple of people building to a team of 40 or so people, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and it becomes a business and it's no longer, you know, hey, I get to put this button on the screen and, and connect it to my action. You know, now now I have to. You know, I don't get to do that anymore because now I'm I'm Aaron Bay, the CTO of this of this mega corporation, right? Yeah, I hope it. I, I would not want it to get that big. You know, like I I really um, I really admire Agile Bits as a company. Um, yeah. Uh, but uh, they're they're much larger than I would ever want to be involved in <laughs> in terms of that. Uh, not that there's any danger of it, but. Um, you know, like I look around the industry and I look at the people that do succeed in companies like um, uh, Flexibits, the makers mm -hmm. of Fantastic Hal. That's mm -hmm. two guys. Yeah. Um, you know, you think of um, Gus Mueller, uh, maker of Acorn. He's the uh, flying meat guy. Um, Dan Jalkut, uh, yeah. Marzetta, he's a single guy by himself. Yeah. Um, you know, I think he's making a modest living, but, uh, sure. you know, like that that's the sort of thing that I, I really... Uh, look to when I when I try to gauge success mm -hmm. you know is is can I could I justify doing this as a full-time gig mm. could I be big enough to hire one or two other people but yeah. not you know agile bits is like 40 people yeah yeah <laughs> it's crazy yeah it's no and, and, and at 40 people it's no longer for for Roustam and uh, Davis I forgot is the other owner Dave, um, yeah, Dave and uh, and Rustam, yeah, and yeah. They're, they're, I mean, their day is now, you know, uh, dealing with issues bigger than than like I was saying about building apps or, or or even even being able to come up with another idea because now they have to. They're always sort of keeping the ball rolling with with one password. It's it's an awesome app. I'm don't get me wrong. It's one of my favorite apps. You know, that would be it would be first like thing my, I installed on my new iMac last. It night. would be my pick every week. I use it on every computer and every every iOS device I have, and I tell people about it all the time. Right. Yep. Yep. Um, but you know, you know, I don't, I don't envy them that position. I mean, I do envy them that position, but I don't envy them the position of having to 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 support that one product. It would, probably would drive me crazy eventually, right? So it might. Yeah. But, I'd but, be curious to find out, though, personally. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it would be nice to have those kind of problems, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 Definitely. I, I know. I know Dave Tier, the uh, one of the founders, and yeah. I think both Roostum as well. I think they both still code. You know, and that's yeah. Um, you know, I don't think they code as often as they'd like, but they still do. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting uh, to talk about this post by Matt Briggs about the role of senior developer, looking at um, how the, I guess the outside industry measures a developer in terms of years of experience versus what they actually know and what they can actually do, right? Um, you know, juniors we consider as, you know, being somebody just out of school a couple of years, um, and, and you would assume that they wouldn't have sort of big picture uh, vision. Um, 
and feel free to jump in anytime, guys. Um, <laughs> the, the, uh, <laughs> now I'm going to let you dangle. I was going to let you finish. I'm yeah, gonna, it sounds like you were I'm doing just a fine this, job there. Call this up here. Hang on. Yeah, so it goes through de- defining what, what a junior developer is and, you know, how we all grow as developers and that kind of stuff. And um, then, you know, talks a bit more about how an intermediate developer is, you know, three to four years, that kind of stuff. And, and what criteria makes somebody a senior developer, right? So, you know, the is it three to four years five no 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 hang on you know like actually what he's saying is that it has nothing to do with the number of years no that's what i'm saying but that's what i'm saying like when when a headhunter calls you and you say i've been doing this for five years they're like oh yeah then we're going to put you in a senior developer role and blah 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 right 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 and my point is my point is is that you know if you were to if if i was to measure the four of us right with this, with it, with that sort of scale, yeah, we've all been do- doing this about the same amount of time, right? But Mark is head and shoulders above me for sure, right? Uh, Aaron, you have your your you're above me in other ways, and Greg, you're above me, way above me in terms of uh, Swift and that kind of stuff. And and you, the two of you are very sort of um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, no idea. Is it erudite? You're able to talk about the the technologies, and you're able to carry on high level conversations about you know. The various pieces, bits and pieces that go into into building apps, right? I'm more on the UI side, so I, I tend to you know look at you know user interface things and design, and I spend time in Photoshop and that kind of stuff, right? So um, you know I'm less likely to do the heavy lifting when it comes to you know laying out a core database, a core data database, or I mean I can do it. Don't get me wrong, and I do it all the time. But but you know when it comes to heavy lifting and architecting or deciding what design pattern we're going to go within an app, I that's not sort of my shtick. I don't really get into that. I don't have passion for that. So, um, you know, but that, does that make me uh, any less of a senior or intermediate developer than you guys, right? So, because we all, the thing about it is that everybody, every developer brings a different set of skills to the table in terms of life experience and in terms of where they've gone and what they've studied, and, you know, what they've learned, right, through the through the world, you know. Um, we're, the three of us are, are all self-taught, I believe, right, Greg? Yes. Yeah. So, you know, and we've all, you've come at it from Perl and Aaron's come at it from Ruby and I've come at it from, you know, other, other kinds of scripting like PHP and MySQL and all that kind of stuff and uh, come at it. We've all done our, 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 we've all paid our penance building websites, you know, um, you know, but, but it, it brings us to a different place, you know, um, you know, I've worked with Perl. I didn't enjoy it. I worked with Ruby. I, I was early when I worked in Ruby, so I really didn't see the value in it at that time. That was 15 years ago, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Um, but, I mean, so when when you measure what a senior developer is, it's not just in terms of, it's, it actually is in terms of time put into the into the craft. But that, it, it, it is a certain level of time that needs to be put in there, right? And I think that's what this article is talking about, the fact that you can't just measure somebody by the amount of uh, time they've put into the position, right? It is quality, not quantity, yeah. that counts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. I really like the sort of framing device, if you can call it that, in this article mm-hmm. where, if you kind of read it backwards, the, the key line for me is, if you do not have at least one senior developer in a leadership role in your yeah. team, your project yeah. is doomed to fail. And at that yeah. point, again, this is the end of the article, but if you read it backwards, you're thinking, all right, what is a senior developer then? Mm-hmm. If I don't want my project to fail, but then the definition is that, a senior developer is someone who has, you would think, failed a lot and knows why that happened. Mm -hmm. And so there's almost this idea of working your way up through, I don't know, there's that famous Michael Jordan quote or something like that about how, you know, you've missed all these shots, but I kept on going and that's why 
I became great. I totally mangled that quote. But I like that <laughs> definition of saying someone who knows what can go wrong and what has gone wrong many, many times in their past. <laughs> and that's the kind of person you need. So it is, there is a little bit of time in there because you do need time to make all those failures. But at the same time, there's probably developers who've been working for 10 years writing the same CRUD app in PHP over and over and over again, who you could say, they could say, I've had a string of 10 successes. Every project has gone well, but they've built the same thing Change 10 times. Exactly, and as yeah. you said, the recruiter would say, oh, 10 years experience, you're a senior developer. Yeah. But then you don't have that experience with trying different kinds of things and getting the variety of experience and failing a lot yeah. and then knowing what kinds of things to look for. Of course, that said, if you did want to build that exact kind of credit up again and you hired that person, I'm sure things would go well. But mm. if you just have some generic, pull it out of a hat, here's a project, who do I get on the team? That's not the kind of person you would want, as, as again, this post says and Matt Briggs says, that's not a senior developer who you need in that role to look after things. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and it's, you know, to, since it's the Canadian, uh, Canadian oh, the All Canada show, I think we should use a Canadian analogy. And I, I, I know the story of, of Wayne Gretzky, for instance, would take a, a bucket of pucks out of the ice and he would hit the top right hand corner over and over and over again. Right until it became muscle memory to him. Right, so and and that's how he was able to, you know, when he was out playing games, be so good. And it was he didn't really touch the puck all that often, but when he did, he really it made it count. Right, and I think using that analogy, it, when he talks about the senior developer here, is is they're not they're more they have more experience about why things work the way they do, and and more about how to you know. Uh, empower the younger members of the team or the more inexperienced members of the team to basically become better and understanding that it's not a, just about do, making that same app 10 times, right? So You just reminded me of Captain Kirk from Star Trek 2. Remember that? You know, when uh, when they're first facing Khan and uh -huh. they decide to enter the prefix code for the Reliant? And, okay. you know, Savick, is it Savick who's in the con? Oh, you're talking about the movie? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Star Trek II, The Wrath yeah, of Khan. Okay, okay. okay. there's another con too, but he's, and same con, but he's Star in Star Trek II, yeah. The Wrath of Khan. I know, yes, I get it. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Oh! 1980 something, 1984, I believe. And, uh, you know, that's the thing that, that Savick says, you know, what are you even doing? Like, how does this act? And Kirk is like, you know, you have to understand how things work. Yeah. You're young, you don't understand this stuff yet. Yeah. And uh, like, so get me the prefix code for the Reliant. We're going to drop its shields and then kick its ass. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened. That was experience over inexperience, I guess. And so he <laughs> understands or, how. Or experience over process. Because Savik's whole point was there's a protocol to things, right? That was so. her big hang up. Yeah. Yeah. yeah she, she's like the junior developer of, uh, of Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> and Kirk is like a senior engineer. That's right. You give her a task, and she'll do it, but she yeah. may not understand why. Yeah, yeah or, or understand the big picture, exactly, exactly. Hmm. Yep, there you go. Like, le everything you need to know in life, you can learn from Star Trek. Yeah, or hockey. Yeah, uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> Matt Briggs, we don't need anything from him. Yeah. It's already, already been taught. <laughs> okay. Now, do you want to do picks? Sure, let's, uh, let's go around the table and see if we have any picks. So, Aaron, do you have a pick? As it happens. So, I just acquired a new Mac. I have an iMac 5K sitting on my desk now. And oh, it's cool, yes. I saw you tweet really, about that. Really nice. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, lovely computer. So, um, one of the first things I did is install some software because I'm going to be running in a, in a sort of dual situation. I'm going to have my laptop for when I'm away from my desk and, you know, obviously the iMac at my desk. But... Um, in one of the in one way, um, 
you know, there's there's going to be situations where I'm going to need the stuff on my desktop. And so I've picked up Screens by Adovia, which is mm -hmm. an app that I've been using for some time now um, on my iPad in order to access my, another Mac um, that I have in my house connected to my TV. Right. So um, when uh, I, it came to this setting up my Mac, though, I wanted to uh, get the Mac version of Screens which would allow me to uh, to go from one Mac to view the screen of another Mac. Yeah. Now, this is well, distinguished... Sorry, what were you going to say? I was going to say, why couldn't you just do that with the screen sharing built yeah, into... Okay. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to say that. Uh, why not use screen sharing? Because um, mm. this uh, screen sharing works fine inside of a network, but over the internet. Um, oh. Right. Uh, so, yeah, Adovia has a screen, the Screen Connect service that it has. Mm. You create an account on their server and then uh, you, you know, register, sorry, log in on all of your devices. Mm. And then, boom, it just works. You open it up on your iPad or on your MacBook or wherever, and you can connect to any other Mac running the Screen Connect service. Not like that back to the Mac nonsense that we've yeah, used yeah, for years. It's, it is yeah. exactly like what back to the Mac is supposed to be, except it actually goddamn works. Wow. Cool. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. So, uh, highly recommended. It's um, it's not cheap, um, but uh, worth it. It's like $25, I think, Yeah. for the Mac version. That's not expensive. Come on, Aaron would yell at you if you yeah, said that. I'm the first person to flip out over that. But, uh, <laughs> you know, as software goes Throw these days, the man, yeah. um, it, and it works very well. Um, it's had good reviews as well from other um, publications. Yeah. Um, and I've, I have been using it on iOS uh, for some time now. So, um, it, it does work very, very well. So, And it's Canadian-made, isn't it? Adovia? Are they uh, they're in Montreal? I thought so. Was that uh, that guy Luke? Hmm, where are you? Tell me about your company, Adovia. They're in Montreal, yes. All right. There Lovely. Luke Vandal, yeah. And he, he was actually one of the guys involved in Singleton back huh. when Singleton was around. Those are the thing. days. Yeah. So... Yeah. Uh, a question though. So, so in my case, I tend to work off my laptop the, the majority of time, right? And uh, for a while there, I was working on my on my iMac, and I would basically screen share to the to the Mac uh, to, to the, the iMac to, to the to the portable Mac, right? Because I tend to be more oh. por portable for the, that's my sort of motors operation. What you're saying is that your the majority of your stuff is on the MacBook. Yeah, and so what I would do is I would, um, you know, use the screen sharing on the, on the uh, I would do a little bit of work, you know, some command line stuff or whatever on the iMac, but for the most part, I would have a window open and I'd be actually sitting at a desk and, and uh, using my Mac. Now I have an external, like an Apple disp cinema display that I plug into my Mac, so my MacBook, so I have like a desktop kind of experience. But so in your case, you're the opposite. You're working from the laptop back to your desktop machine. Is that your... That's, yeah, that's the... the the plan exactly, um, and, and so were you we, before you were exclusively working on the laptop, or yeah, I have uh, my MacBook Pro here. My 13-inch is now uh, three years mm -hmm. old, and mm -hmm. um, I'm actually going to be replacing that as soon as my new MacBook 12-inch arrives mm -hmm. uh, in the next couple weeks. Right, they're on significant back order. It's like three to four weeks. Wow, uh, really? To get one of the gold? days. Ah, uh, black. Yeah. <laughs> Please. Oh, space gray, space, <laughs> space gray. gray. Yes, yeah. space gray. Make approved space gray. Um, so. I was going to ask you. So, how does how does the resolution of the Retina display manifest itself on the smaller MacBook split display? Do you have any issues? Like, does it automatically downscale? And yeah, like it'll it it runs in two modes. You can either um, look at the whole screen, you know, compressed onto the size of your 13-inch Retina MacBook Pro screen, 
Um, or you can go 100% and it just sort of follows your mouse as you scoop, uh, sort yeah. of move around. Yep, yep. Um, now, the one thing, I, I'm not nuts about that, but uh, one thing I would love to see in this version, and the Mac version of this is actually the newest thing that Adobe ships. Like, they've, mm -hmm. they've been making the iOS version of this for some time, and I think the interactions on it are a little better. Right. Um, because the thing you can do on iOS is actually, like, you know, uh, pinch to zoom mm. um, and, and zoom in and zoom out. Yeah. very easily using the pinch gesture on your iPad screen. Yeah. Um, and you can't do something similar like that on the Mac. Um, mm, right. I, I think that would be a, a very quick fix for them that would uh, really improve things in terms of uh, interacting. Because, yeah, the, my iMac 5K screen on, you know, represented huge. on my... Yeah, huge. huge. Like, oh my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So big. Yeah. Oh, it's amazing. Well, I do um, something similar because I have, I have an old VNC app. It's one of the first apps I installed on my iPad and I, to this day, still use it occasionally to log onto one of my desktop machines and, and you know move the screen around and, and same sort of idea where you know you can you can look at it you can pinch the zoom and make it bigger and you can pan around and then you have a keyboard that can come up and down as you need it sort of yep. thing right yep. so yep. well how yeah these like this is a it's it's a VNC client yeah. and server setup you know that's sure. what this is yep. all about um, but the thing that separates this from any other VNC app is just the um, the niceties that come with it right that allow you to work with the with the host computer um, you know, like passing the keyboard or the clipboard back and forth, for example. That's oh, a big cool. thing. Oh, cool, yeah. You know, mm. um, the mouse pointer, you know, how, how you actually interact with it and how quick and responsive it is, right. even over the internet, as opposed to just on your local network. And, you know, they've, they've got, you know, it's just very, very performant. It works very well. Hmm. Um, uh, you know, like management options that you can do like uh giving you control of the other computer um it just it's just really really smooth it works very well mm -hmm. um you know i've tried others and found myself frustrated by them but screens is the one that seems to really get me so hmm. check it out yeah for sure I, I actually might do that because like i said i do i do i'm in my back going back to my support days i there was a tool i used to use called um team viewer or something like that um and it allowed me to to uh have a client install a piece of software on their computer, and then I could totally see what was going on on their computer. I could, you know, drive around, manipulate. It was good when I was supporting both Mac and Windows because mm -hmm, it worked mm -hmm. on both platforms. But now I use Messages and, and or I chat, I guess. Um, what do we call it now? Chat messages. 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 It's messages. Yeah. And I do the screen sharing option to yeah. that, and it's just a matter of trying to get somebody to teach teach somebody how to set up an Apple ID on their machine. That's harder than it sounds, believe it or not. No, um, it is tough. Yeah. <laughs> But whereas you know the one click installer was was a bit bit easier way to do it. But yeah, so so I've always sort of uh, done the VNC thing and always looking for good clients for that kind of stuff. Especially since I have several headless servers in the house as well, right? So. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, and you know, just like you know, I archive my mail. I have a desktop Mac behind me, which I, like I said, I used to work on a lot, but I very rarely work on it. But that's where I archive my my IMAP account, right? So if I want to look at anything that's older than a year, I have to log onto that Mac over there. So I'll, I'll you know use a VNC client to do that as well, and and. Uh, back to my Mac used to work pretty well, but it's been pretty lame for about three or four years now. So I've never heard good things about that. Well, you know, I, I there were times when I could be down in San Francisco or something and log onto a server here at home and grab a file. And you know, one year, I did, the first time I went to WWDC, I, first, I didn't realize that I needed to uh, download um, uh, an app onto my iPad and iPad. Yeah, it must have been iPad. Um, and I, I actually used VNC to log into my machine at home and tar up my uh, my uh, backup and then send it down to my laptop overnight while my wife and I went and toured around San Francisco. And then and then uh, the next day I had, was able to install the stuff because I 
I forgot to bring my iTunes profile with me, right? Long story short. Anyway, <laughs> that's cool. Um, so, uh, what's your name again? Um, <laughs> it's Greg. His name is Greg. <laughs> Greg, damn you. All right. So, uh, Greg, do you have a pick? I do have a pick. It's the website AppleRSVP.com. And uh-huh. I know Tim just was talking about getting his grandkids interested in app development. This is not quite at that level, but it's a Apple thing. I should mention first uh, also, it's US only. And it's a program they have in their in-store. So you go into an Apple, you register, you go in, I think it's just a week or something like that, three days on the week for a few hours and you can bring in your 8 to 12 year old once they're registered and they have two sort of classes one for making a movie with iMovie it says they cover original soundtrack and garage band and then you edit Mm -hmm. a iMovie together and then they have another one that covers interactive storytelling with iBooks which I imagine is something about iBooks author on the Mac and making an interactive book with it so it's an interesting kind of thing quick one week I believe it's just a single week kind of a summer camp thing get your kids into not coding but this it's a more creative thing if we can say that mm-hmm. making movies and interactive books so it's an interesting cool. thing that Apple runs over the summer again US only you pick your store and then you register that's cool actually my, my grandson Xavier is actually at a coding camp this week where he's learning Raspberry Pi stuff right so yeah cool so he's coding in Python uh, is it Python or is it no? It's probably well, it's Linux of some type, right? So you think Python? I was say, is yeah, it could be anything. Yeah. Well, it could be, but I think um, like they they tend to focus on Python when the, on the Raspberry Pi distributions. Yeah. Okay. Yep. That is the new teaching language of the of the moment. Yeah. 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 Well, we're not sure. It's a game making, game coding camp. Oh yeah, there's tons of game coding stuff for for Python. Yeah. So he's I'm, gonna... I'm gonna bet it's Python. I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be yeah. surprised. Well, it sure as heck won't be Bash, right? <laughs> <laughs> no. Never know. Well, I was teaching him iOS uh, a couple of weeks ago, so he was soaking that up. So. How old is he? He's going to be 12 in a couple of uh, oh, weeks. Yeah. Awesome. So, My mm-hmm. daughter, who is 11, uh, has no interest whatsoever oh. in coding. <laughs> Just too bad. Nothing? No, no, you haven't even tried like Arduino fashion stuff with her? Oh, I've tried or? all kinds of stuff. She's No. Yeah. Mm-mm. Well, you know. She will not be manipulated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, unfortunately for me, I don't think I have a choice with Xavier. He's just going to he's gonna take over my business one of these days and fire me. Yeah. What's your pick, Tim? Uh, my pick, actually, well, I, I, you know, I did have a couple of other picks, but, but uh, just this is a bit of a story. Um, this afternoon, I was working away with Yosemite, and I uh, all of a sudden had a problem with mail, and I thought, oh, you know, I haven't restarted my Mac in a while, and mail wasn't relaunching, and I thought, okay, well, let me let me restart the Mac, and, you know, got the new Yosemite startup with the little uh, progress bar that goes across the screen, and it got halfway across and stopped, and I thought, oh, that can't be good, because one of the processes in starting up your computer is it checks your hard drive, or in this case, SSD, um, and yeah, so I... I Killed that, tried it again, still nothing, right? And then, so then I fired up the resource thing. So needless to say, you know, I finally got the booted from the resource disk and, or the repair disk, and it basically said that Apple will not repair this disk, right? And I have a couple of utilities I used to use, Disk Warriors being one of them that I used in the past. And um, uh, needless to say, that wouldn't work either. So I knew I was sort of in a position where I was screwed, but I keep a backup going on my computers all the time. I have a couple of time machine instances at home. And I have a, an app that I use through a Canadian company called Background Backup 
called Crash Plan that basically backs up my stuff to the Diefen Bunker, again, another Canadian reference, in <laughs> Ottawa. Uh, you know, my, might as well make use of it. Diefenbunker, for those Americans out there who don't know what it is, is basically <sighs> our nuclear disaster thing for Parliament to, you don't have to sigh, Aaron. It's a part of Canadian history. <laughs> it's, you know, when Parliament was was under threat of nuclear war, they had to find a way to get, you know, the members of Parliament down into underground, and that's what they built this bunker under Prime Minister Diefenbaker. Anyway, so a friend of mine's uh, company runs, has storage space there where they have a bunch of servers, and that's where they keep the data, right? And it doesn't go across the border, which is great for me. I like that. Um, anyway, so here I am. Mac is pooched. Got an app to deliver, you know, got to send an app build to the app store today, right? So what am I going to do? So I'm going to start restoring my machine. So I needless to say, go and start uh, restoring from Time Machine. And after wrestling with Time Machine for like a half an hour to try and get it to recognize stuff, uh, it's going to take, you know, up to somewhere between 11 and 24 hours to restore the, the, the drive, right? Is this over the network? Uh, I mean, this over is, the wired or wireless this is, network? This is com- the t- hundred or gigabit Ethernet connected right to the time machine instance itself. I was wondering, though, I, you know, there's a USB port. I know you can use that for drives, but I wondered if you were able to connect to uh, the time capsule directly. But, yeah, no, this is over This is over a network, even, even with the uh, gigabit. The problem with time capsule, if you don't know, is it's a thousand tiny files, right? Um, it's not like it backs up your system stuff. It backs up incrementally over over a span of umpteen weeks or months or whatever. So putting back together the your your data takes quite a while. But this other program I use called Crash Plan. Um, I I keep a copy of it down. I have a copy that goes to one of my servers in the basement, and I have one that goes to the Diefen bunker, like I mentioned. And I'm you know basically it's the race against time, and um, that I'm able to get the files off of Crash Plan Crash Plan much faster than I can with Time Machine. So so currently. Tonight for me, the, the my hero app is Crash Plan. So, and it's written by Code Forty Two in the states, and uh, we're running a Canadian instance of it up here with through background backup. That's my pick. What do you mean by uh, what is background backup? So back like, I use Crash Plan myself, so yeah, I don't know. So, so this is a Canadian company that uh, a friend of mine owns in Ottawa, and uh, basically he does. They do. They'll put devices in your network if you have like a, a company and you want to do. Everybody wants to use Crash Plan. You basically pay per uh, for a seat on each each, each machine you want to have in, the, in your network, um, and then you know there's a pricing plan of you know so much per month and so much per gigabyte, um, and instead of uh, backing up to a store like you know that with Crash Plan you can choose other machines machines that have crash plan installed as a destination, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I have a server downstairs with, you know, terabytes of space. So I, I use I use I back all of my computers to that one downstairs. But then, you know, if my house burns down, that's not gonna help me, right? So my offsite backup thing is is using Crash Plan uh, through background backup, which is a the Canadian exclusive reseller or something to that effect. Um, and uh, so they, what happens with that is we have a bunch of clients, and as well as myself, who use CrashPlan with a with a branded copy for IT Guy Technologies. And um, I get a report every night of all the successful backups of all of my clients, and you know, so I can keep an eye on them, even though they don't know they're being backed up, kind of thing, right? And and if is it, in the case of disaster, you can have all your data put on a disk and sent down to you and restored directly onto your computer, or in this case, I'm I'm restoring stuff over the internet. Okay, um, so you're not using the Crash Plan service to back up to? Not the American service. I'm using Canadian version of it. Yeah, I understand. Okay, mm-hmm. so that, that's what I like. I use Crash Plan, and I'm I've got their family unlimited plan that yeah. I use. Yep. So I'm backing up to their servers with all of the computers on my network right, right. now. Right. Yep. Yep. Okay. 
Um, the only thing I don't like about it is that it's a Java app, you know? <laughs> yeah, and, and, it, and it, well, the version I'm running needs the old Java. I had to, that was the first challenge for me. Like the first thing when you're installing is you install it, but then you have to install the Java environment. And then, yeah. yeah, so it's been a bit of a pain that way. You're mm -hmm. right, and, and I do run it on a couple of Linux servers as well, and uh, it's very resource intensive on, on Linux, I find, you know, so. Like it opens up a whole lot of it opens a node up for every single file on the system, and if you have, mm. you know, gazillion, like in, in this case, we're we're doing an app server for one of our servers, one of our applications, and uh, yeah, for every file that a client uploads, you know, we have thousands, tens of thousands of users using our app, um, and you know, each one of them has like you know so so many photos and so many chat sessions and all that kind of stuff uh, builds up builds up the space i guess yeah so it's a bit a bit of a pick that way and that's because of the java piece right so um yeah and, and there's supposed to be updates coming for to to resolve those kind of issues as well but and and greg you use backblaze i think right i do use backblaze yeah yeah and and what's your experience with that like have you ever had to pull your butt out of a fire like like i have with crash plant i have never luckily never had to do it <laughs> so far yeah. um i do still have time machine and Backblaze, yeah. and Dropbox, yeah. and another one, and I even had Tarsnap from a long time ago, another Canadian mm -hmm. thing, mm -hmm. right. based out in Vancouver. I think they use S3, the old S3, and I still have an account with them, although I've lost all the keys, so I haven't yeah. backed mm -hmm. anything up, but they keep sending me invoices for the one cent a month that I use, or whatever it is. <laughs> but uh, no, Backblaze, I guess, is my primary offsite backup for both of my computers, and oh, I have never yeah. had to use it and restore anything, although my brother-in-law uses it and he has used the thing where you can go on their websites like oh you're out on vacation and you need that file from your computer go right. online to your backblaze and restore it he has done that before he said it works cool. just fine yeah, yeah well while we were while we were recording the podcast today i was record restoring my development folder so I, I have xcode on the machine that i'm recording on tonight um but i and i have a couple of deliverables deliverables i need to get out tonight so uh, after the show i'll be firing up my development environment and carrying on with my work right so and, and then cursing the fact that I didn't push stuff up to GitHub. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, gotta do that. So, like, what happened with your drive, Tim? Like, did you just replace the drive, or no? Is it's it's the SSD. Reformatted? It's the SSD that came with, and yeah, uh, yeah no. And I'm you know I'm always sort of very cautious about stuff. First of all, so I happen to have a one terabyte uh, Seagate backup drive sitting in a closet. So I just I'm using that to with a USB three connection. Oh, uh, I'm restoring to that right now. Yeah, I know I got, but I'd rather I'd rather get my data back. No, I can no, I have I can see my data. It's all compiled together because you know in you can't work off a. Um, time machine backup because even though the stuff appears to be there it's all over the place right yeah yeah yeah. and then the same thing with crash plan crash plan basically you know it it creates little it, little incremental archives of everything and you kind of have to reassemble stuff but uh, and i you know i've done things like you know i've had issues where uh somebody's gone in and, and done an update on a database and pooched every record on the database you know and this is like in a mysql instance and been able to go back to crash plan because i also back up my web servers with crash plan and uh, able to restore uh, uh, a database, which is you know a MySQL database, which is a bit can be a bit tricky, right? So, but be able to go back 15 minutes for, and CrashPlan runs every 15 minutes, whereas Time Machine runs every every hour. And then the other issue with Time Machine, my pet peeve about them is is uh, not only the size of the, the, the just keeps growing and growing and growing, but how many times do I get the the, the message that the Time Machine uh, drive is busy and can't back up? You know. Like it, I, I've never had that. Well, are you running Time Machine off a network, or are you running it off of uh, like a drive? Uh, no, drive connected. No, off, 
connected drive. Yeah, yeah. Well, I use I use uh, I have Time Machine on my server downstairs, and I have Time Capsules, right? And what happens is is if the if the uh, the volume gets mounted on your Mac, and there's some sort of hiccup on the network or whatever. It's Time Capsule thinks that, or Time Machine itself thinks that drive that volume is still busy, right? And then you can't restore. So you have to go and restart servers, or you know, it's just, there's no elegant way out of it, right? So, wow, yeah. that's no fun. No, I mean, you know, so if if nothing else, Time Machine's better than nothing, right? Um, and it's and it like you said, it's good if you have a, an external drive and and you're habitual about plugging it in or making sure that it's always plugged in. I can't tell you the number of clients I've had over the years who've called me up and said, hey, my data's gone. And, and I like say, when's the last time you backed up? Oh, I think I backed up about six months ago. I'm like, uh-huh. Mm -hmm. Good luck to you, right? Yep, so. yep, yep, yep. Um, I, I, I regard Time Machine. It's, Time Machine is not a disaster recovery system. Um, no. You know, like it, when your drive dies and you, you want to get things back. Like it's it's really for pulling a file out of the past, yeah. you know, yeah. like one version or two versions ago. And that's when I use it and that's why I, I value it so much. But um, but that's why I have CrashPlan and I also use um, SuperDuper. Sorry. So um, are you familiar with SuperDuper? The disk cloner. Any of you? The yeah. disk cloner. Yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, I'm I'm using that. So every time I've got like two external drives that I plug into my Mac, and uh, on a regular basis, SuperDuper takes a clone of my drive. So if my if my startup drive dies, like Tim did today, I can literally just plug it in and start up off of that thing, mm -hmm. and uh, and be off and running. How often do you do the clone though? Um, well, now I've I've just got my iMac now, so. Um, so I've got I've got my super duper clone, which I I uh, copy every every time I plug my uh, I my MacBook Pro into my hard drive. So whenever I come back to my desk, plug my MacBook Pro in, and that that's when it makes a clone of my of my disk. So it it would in in effect be two to three times a day. Hmm, okay. I've also got a time machine volume that backs up on an hourly basis. Yeah, I guess super du you have the registered super duper, so it does do that incremental thing. So I guess it's pretty quick if it runs that often. Okay, well, let's wrap it up. And uh, if people want to find you on the interwebs there, where would they look? They'd look on Twitter, at Aaron Vey, or go to my now newly operational battle station, magpievideo.com. And Greg, if people want to find you on the inter interwebs, where would they look? They should also look on Twitter. I'm Greg Heo, that's Greg H-E-O. All right, well, we'll see you guys next week. Uh, we'll say goodbye, and we'll, you know, happy Canada Day. Uh, bye, everyone. Don't forget to pet your moose. That is not a euphemism for something. If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There, you can find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the items we talked about on the show, as well as links to the apps on the App Store. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment on the website, or if you can, please write a review on iTunes. It really helps others find out about the show. You can also follow us on Twitter. Once again, the podcast Twitter account is at mtjc underscore podcast. If you'd like to support us, you can pledge any amount on patreon.com slash mtjc. You can provide as little as a dollar a month. Any amount helps, however you're free to do as you please. Thanks again for listening.
Okay, bye. So I was going to have like a discussion with Greg about his fabulous podcast he was just on. It was like totally awesome. You, and should, you should call me back, Tim. So Aaron, you're our, uh, Greg, you were on this podcast. Uh, what's it called? Um, the 5x5. Five five. Oh, yes. IOS. Yes. Yes. I love the name of that podcast. IOS. I'll give you all this. Aaron Crazy. Just, just, just cut that out. Whoa, something weird is happening. What's that sound? No, that's like a, an echo of like a laugh. I think he's about to fall offline. Oh, all right. It's kind of weird that you and I are still talking, though. I know. Is he... Uh... Let's listen in. Oh, is that the last bit of his laugh? That's a weird It sounds sound. like the last bit of his laugh. I just thought it was like, oh. Are you there? Yeah. <laughs> You're not. <laughs> I think what we ought to do is dump this call and try again. Yeah, he can't even spell either. Okay, oh. <laughs> let's dump this call. <laughs> and right. uh, we, we were just missing your pick and Tim's pick, right? Before we yeah. finish recording? Yeah. Crap. You should just make some snarky comment about whatever the pick is, and then he can uh, <laughs> edit <that> in afterwards. <laughs> what is this? Apple RSVP, please. What the hell is that crap? Oh, it's That was pretty kids. good. I'll record that. <laughs> <laughs> I was recording that. Don't worry. <laughs> what is... No, seriously. What is this? Apple no, RSVP. Like this is an Apple camp for site. Kids. Not in Canada, camp unfortunately. No. Well, then why are we even talking? Look at... It's it, any store you like in the U.S. Damn. I don't know. What... You know, listen to this. Tim is typing. Oh, my God. Tim's typing. Oh. So you can't hear me. Answer my question, damn it. <laughs> Can... Ah, can you hear us? The quality of this call sucked, but I don't know if that's Skype's fault. <laughs> okay, so he can't hear us either. Quarter after ten. Quarter after ten. <sighs> Just as long as you're telling me that you didn't lose everything that... No, no, I got it. I, got, I think I've got it, yeah. Let me just make sure. I just love the thought of two weeks in a row going <laughs> I'm uh, I'm recording the call, so don't worry. Oh, God, thank you. What are you yeah. using to do that? I just, actually just started using Call Recorder, the one that everyone talks about. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Huh. Skype Call Recorder? Skype Call Recorder, yeah. Started, and how, it, how does, it, how I don't know it, if I like it as much, but... Um, oh, jeez. That was loud. Um, it just I just have it set to automatically record every Skype call ever. And then cool. it makes a QuickTime file with two tracks, one for the, you know, the call side and one for your side. Right. But you can't change, I don't know, I want all the settings to change the quality and whatnot, which it doesn't yeah. give you. Yeah. But it's yeah, a good backup, and you can't, I guess. And you can't, you can't edit out, like, yeah, individuals. I think that's what Tammy uses, right? I think. I think so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you get two tracks, your track and everybody else is the way it works. Right, right.